Hey, it's Sky Brothers here. View from the cheap seats this week. We have an unbelievable guest. Uh, he played for in the NFL, had over ten thousand six hundred yards rushing, and now he's got a great acting career. He's Thomas Q. Jones. Man, did you have fun on the show? Man, I had a blast on this show. Thank we you so much deep. for inviting me. Yeah, we got super deep, man. It was early in the morning out here in the West Coast. Man, Listen, y'all, got man, my, y'all got my brain working early, man. Talk so. Issues. I'm yeah. talking issues. I'm saying, look, we got so deep, we put her butt to sleep. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's up? You okay? Yeah. How you doing? You all right? Yeah. How's it going? Hey, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Seriously, just tell me where you got it. Okay, I won't. I won't ask you. I'm not gonna bother you. Just tell me where you got it. Seriously, just tell me where you got it. Hey, was it free? Hey, what's up? Was that free or something or what? You tell me. You tell me. <laughs> okay. It's got to be done. Three, two, uh, hey, hey, friends, hey, how you doing there? You doing pretty good? Where'd you get all that stuff you got brought with you there? You done brought it. I know you did. You did. You did. You did. You did. You did. Hey, thanks for being here on Twisting the Wind. That's where you are right now. In terms of what you're doing with your ears, that's where you are. You're at the radio show that's not on a radio called Twisting the Wind. I'm Johnny Pemberton. Thanks for listening. (coughs) 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 Sorry. I was just in the uh, subway tunnels doing some coal extraction and I got a little bit of black lung. Sorry about that. Thanks for listening to this. Uh, thanks for spreading it around like it's it's some homemade fig jam from your buddy who picked the figs off his tree and made some fig jam. If you haven't ever had fig jam before or fig preserves, I suggest you hit that up because it's really good, especially when it's real and good. And you get those little seeds, you know, they explode in your mouth like little uh, little clusters of pop, pow. Pretty great, those fig seeds they are. That's why I eat figs pretty much is, is for the seeds. Uh, once again, thank you. Thank you for all of you who have donated. Thank you for buying uh, music or anything else for that matter through our Amazon portal. I don't know why it's called a portal. Nothing really happens. I guess because you go through us to get to them. So it is a portal. It is a portal. Uh, thanks for all the good comments. Thank you for rating the podcast on iTunes. That help. That matters. It does. I don't know why it matters, but it does. It makes things... It basically is like... A, plugging in one more uh, electrical current into this light that is the sound. That's actually sound. It's still waves. We're done with waves here. You guys know what waves are? 
sometimes they can be a pulse wave. Either way, the waves are hitting you. They're hitting that a window pane and lasers are taking them and they are analyzing that and they are going to say, hey, this is great. And thank you for saying the same thing. If you want to communicate with me, uh, my email, not my email, but the show's email, which is, you know, that's me. It's me. Twistingthewind at gmail.com. It's easy to do. I've got some really nice things there. I had someone request that I post a listing of all the music I've played on the podcast thus far. I will do that. I'm at, I, I've been meaning to do that anyways because I feel like I've probably played stuff twice because I have a very bad memory. So, I have well, I have a selective memory. And the things that I do, I, def- I forget them. I forget. What Did I say that? What do you, no, I didn't say that, did I? I guess I did say that. I don't remember saying it. It was in the moment. It's gone. It's over. Does the lightning strike remember itself? I don't think so. Maybe it does. It's electricity. Someone said this is sort of a great podcast for people with ADHD, kids and adults. Is that true? I guess it is, isn't it? I feel like that way. I, I'm, I let myself fly around here, and hopefully it's not disturbing to everyone else that much. It's either that or you get the uh, the long pregnant pauses of Rush Limbaugh, the on-track Republican mind. I don't want to be that exactly. Here, here's a little Rush Limbaugh for you. Um, there's these people. They're bad. They're trying to take it away. What you got? Is it wrong? No. 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 <laughs> oh. <sighs> Candy. Oxycon. What? She's a devil. Oh. Ah. There you go. That's my impression of Rush. My non-specific impression of Rush. I love doing non-specific impressions. I think that's where I talk about this a lot on this here show about tonality as opposed to figurative and literal things. Tone is tones where it's at, man. You get that tone down. Everything else sails. Just everything else is just. It's gravy. It's not even gravy. It's better than gravy because gravy is like a, a weird, strange product of drippings and milk. That's yeah, it's good, but really you probably shouldn't have that much gravy. You should probably have a lot more of like maybe some like pureed apples or something. That's what I would like to be generating here is a really good organic fruit puree that you can eat. Don't juice, blend. Because when you juice, you're just getting the sugar. When you blend, you get the fiber. And fiber is where the life is at. Okay? Uh, if you've been a long time listening to this show, you know that uh, health is a, health is of the utmost importance. <laughs> no, it's not. I didn't say that. I've never said that. What I mean, I guess, is that all I'm saying is that get your colonoscopy. If you're over 35, get your colonoscopy, okay? Don't be embarrassed. It's not gay. There's a lot of people out there who think it's gay. There's a whole swaths of the population who are like, what? Wait, 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 hold on a second. Now. You want me to get a, you want me to put a tube up my butt? Cola, what? What'd you say? You want me to get a colonoscopy? Hell, I can get my motherfucking colonoscopy, goddammit. I ain't gay. I ain't fucking gay. Ain't no fucking faggot getting a, getting a tuber stuck up my butt by a doctor. I don't think so. I ain't, I'm a, I'm a, I ain't going no fucking faggot ways down there. 
hey, I'll take the cancer. I'll take that fucking butt cancer and I'll die with it and I'll take it up with me to heaven. I'll say, hey, look at this. Look what I got right here. This is my butt cancer. Guess what? Proves I'm not fucking faggotry. I ain't no fucking faggotry. I'm going up straight up to heaven there, part of the gates and shit with my butt cancer. Big as a, big as a raccoon up there. I don't give a fruit. I don't give a fruit. Give me, give me fucking colonoscopy. I, I, how dare y'all say that? I ain't fucking gay. Getting the medical, medical treatment to see if I had to scream for cancerous? I'm not, I am, I ain't gay. I am not gay. You understand right now? I'm marriage between a man and a woman. I voted against, I voted for that, against, if it, if it was pr pr talked about. Otherwise, I voted against it. Not gay. Not even like a little bit gay. Definitely not going to get some goddamn medical tube up my butt trying to tell me I got cancer, okay? I don't know. That's fucking faggotry right there. Okay, that was just a little impression. Not really me. Just a little impression of ignorance. Not that people who have southern accents are ignorant, but it's fun to pretend that they do, right? That's the funnest ignorance to do. Uh, yeah, so get your goddamn colon checked out if you can. Get a colonoscopy, don't get a colonic. Colonics are worse than witchcraft. Witchcraft is good. Colonics are bullshit. Literally and figuratively bullshit. There are people out there, there's lots of well-educated, smart people who are getting colonics or spending money. You're spending money giving it to a strange weirdo with a home colonic studio with a maybe sanitary table covered in butcher's paper to shoot some water up their asshole and shit it out. And then they go on and write good books or do good TV shows or whatever. They do stuff that's good, even though they're so stupid because they're getting water shot up their ass because for some reason they think their colon is dirty. It's dirty. It's bad. It's, uh, I ate some gum a long time ago. I'm dirty inside. I'm dirty. Yeah, no, I have, I have a bad food I do. I do a bad food eating and I get, I need to clean it out. Well, I know I don't want to change what I eat and I don't want to think about it. I just want to have this weird, weird, like broken down hippie spray some, spray some, uh, room temperature water up my asshole in a studio apartment in Van Nuys for 60 bucks. Yeah. Oh, I don't know anything about them. I don't know if they're like, have any type of certification or even, oh, oh, there doesn't exist a certification for colonics because it's not certifiable because it's quackery. Oh, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I don't care. I just, I just, I'm dirty inside. I need to get the water sprayed on my fucking ass. Ah, uh, don't do it. Okay. Seriously, you might actually get hurt. and You might have your bowel perforated by some fucking idiot. <laughs> ah, colonics. Colonics. Remember when I first learned about that whole shit, I was like, what is that? And then I asked someone, I asked my dad, he's like, what, are you kidding me? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's pretty ridiculous, the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, care for your body by getting a cancer check, but don't get your asshole cleansed with water jets from strangers. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny, but it is. It's funny because it's sad because there's so many people who do it who are not 
not stupid. Ah, uh, okay. Let's get on with this, shall we? Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for stepping in. Thanks for getting your ears wet and this sonic array of fields of joy and all sorts of things like that. And we're good that you're here. And if you weren't, then we would be sad because you wouldn't be with us any longer. And that's the truth. And if you keep staying inside of here for longer, then there'll be more of you to spread the message through the networks of pathways that we created with our minds, with the plants that live underneath our feet. Neural networks are among us, they're in the skies. Neural networks are among us, they're in the plants, they're in the ground, they're in the air, they're everywhere. They're here for you. now you're in the twisting the wind musical section you settle in get those ear caps ready to rip and take a dip on this mothership that was sort of a, a half micro quote of some of some uh, uh, uh parliament parliament sorry it's, you know you gotta quote parliament sometimes you know it's a funky ass organization i have never played any parliament on the show i'm gonna get to that okay i'm gonna get to that gotta be selective with a band like that Okay, coming up number one here on the chart block, Chop Chop. This is a band called Skip Bifferty. They're ripping riptastic. <laughs> uh, they're not, it's not a guy. I thought it was a guy for a long time with the name of Skip Bifferty, which is a great name. Um, it's not, it's a band and they decided to have that be their, their, their weird, a weird ass little name. We've got a funky little name, Skip Bifferty. They're from, they're from Newcastle upon Tyne. I think that's how you say it. Some little shit town, or maybe a crap town, as they would say. I think it's probably considered a crap town. And this is from, uh, like, 1968. You know, a bunch of guys doing that psychedelic thing back then uh, that so many, so many young lads in that area of the world were doing. These guys do it cool. This is not your average fare that's served up on... Uh, they may have been a part of the Nuggets box sets, which are... If you haven't delved into those little beauties, they're great. It's a great two months of uh, deep listening to psychedelic shit. But these guys, um, these guys, a lot of that's just one-hit wonder stuff. This their whole album is ripping. It's like full-on face melty, dirty, dig a hole in the ground and come out in different colors or everywhere kind of shit. And uh, here's we're gonna hear a song called Prince of Germany the first. Yeah, nothing more to say about it but that.
There you go. Some piano soaked in motherfucking LSD sounded like. It probably broke that fucking upright piano in the recording. Huh. Heavy, heavy, heavy sounds. Yeah, there's not a, lot of stuff, not a lot of stuff that sounds like that from that era. That's got that melding of acoustic things with tripping balls, chorus, and such. The whole album is great. It all everything sounds like it should have been sampled to hell by the RZA, but I don't think it has. I think the RZA doesn't know about this. Man, I bet he wish he did. Maybe he does. I don't know everything the RZA knows. I don't claim to know the RZA. That was Skip Befferty, Prince Germany the First, off their self-titled album in 1968. Get it, okay? Get it, get it, get it. Coming up next here. On the TTW chart block and smashdown, this is a guy whose name is Nick Lowe, L-O-W-E. He is a he's a motherfucker of a ripper ripper guy here. He's produced uh, a, I think most of Elvis Costello's albums, at least all the good ones. And uh, uh, he's an amazing he's you know he's a he's your classic example of a writer producer musician which I tend to like a lot of uh, like Derek Harriet, um, Willie Mitchell, uh, Alan Toussaint. Those are all some of my favorites, and Niccolo falls into that very nicely because his stuff maybe not have may not have that um big showy sound and performy style like uh, Elvis Costello. But I think that there's nothing to be missed there. I like the subtlety of a lot of the stuff he does. This is an album called Jesus of Cool, which is maybe one of the coolest album titles of all time. And this is a song called 36 Inches High. It's got a great little message. I think if you want to decide, it has a message. piece of that song 36 inches high by nick low from the album jesus of cool oh man what i would give to have those drums surround me in my daily life just wickedly compressed smashing up front big drums crushing all the evils around me just that's what it sounds like that's what it sounds like you know what i mean yeah that's what it sounds like Man, compression, something else, huh? Nick Lowe. That's what you get. You got a guy who's like, he's involved in the whole thing. He is, he writes the menu, he buys the ingredients, he cooks it, 
He serves it. He is the one-man band. I mean, he's got studio musicians in there. Okay. That's true. But you know what I mean? It's that thing where you get that... You get that completeness. That's so rare that you get a guy, you get people who are in control of their full product. And I feel like maybe that's the case with a lot of things that aren't so successful because it's hard to have. Oh, uh, now we're getting, now we're, you know what? Oh, someone sound the train alarm because the tracks just disappeared. And now I'm mumbling and, um, well, I wonder if this is like, well, there's this guy. Is he an exception to what I just said? Okay. Fart. like to place an order, press 1. For delivery status of your order, press Thank you for calling our order line. My name is Joey. May I have a telephone number with the area code, please? Hey, Joey. Hey, my phone number is 323-666-6679. Uh, 323-666-6679. Nope. It's 666-6679. Thank you. How are you, you ordering from the cat? Yeah, I'm ordering here from something. Um, how are you doing, Joey? I'm very much fine, thank you. And You're very much fine. Is cool. That, yes, and is that from the catalog or from one of our ad? I'm not sure. Isn't it all sort of the same thing, really, when you think about it? Where did you find that item? I haven't found it yet. I was thinking about acquiring it. Do you believe in fear? Um. What is that? <laughs> like, do you think fear is a tangible thing, or is it something that we create? Actually, fear is something that we create, because okay. it's all on your mind. I agree with you on that. Um, I'm going to tell you here that I'm looking at this as a, this is an ad I got in the mail. Um, okay. So, so where, where are you at right now? What's going on? Our corporate office is in California. And oh. by the way, on that... On that ad, uh, yeah. kindly double-check on the upper right-hand side corner of the mm -hmm. order blank. There is a department number that starts with number 6. You know what's funny? I was just about to tell you that. It's 66922. Hey, so where are you in, where in California? I'm in California, too. Actually, actually uh, our corporate office is in California, but I'm physically located in one of the call center in the former U.S. military air base in the Philippines, I'm in Clark. That's so specific. Thank you for that, Joey. I like that. A lot of times people yeah, just th just throw stuff out, but it was cool how you were like, fun, you know, okay. very specific. Is, is that are you? What else are you studying to be like a, a like an accountant or something? Or what do you what do you guys? What else is on the burners? 
Actually, I'm a graduate of economics, but I'm working in a call center right now. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, so what do you think? Is it is Keynes is a uh, Maynard Keynes? Is he a fool or is he a genius? Um, fifty-fifty. I'm so sorry about that. What do you think about the, What do you think about the I'm 1913 sorry. Gold Act? <laughs> Actually, so I don't have the. I don't know that. But you know about that, man. You know about the gold act. Remember what Nixon did to the gold? Mm. You know about what Nixon did to the gold? No. He I'm took Te Gold from Te Buildings and he put it in his uh, pouch and he uh, rode off into the sunset. Um, um, so, uh, what do you think about gold? Is gold going to keep going up until we all die? <laughs> the value of gold? Probably, but Probably. I'm, I'm not <laughs> Well, that's why I'm interested in getting these slippers. They look so comfortable. They can soothe me as we... They exactly. Can, they can usher us into the apocalypse. Apocalypse. <laughs> okay, and by the way, for these adjustable health slippers, um, mm -hmm. are you ordering for the men's or for the ladies? I'm not really sure. I kind of... I, I feel like I want to get both. I was thinking what about getting time? some from my friend Chris Holmes. Do you know Chris Holmes? No. <laughs> oh, he's a good guy. Uh, I don't know him that well either. We just recently talked about all kinds of stuff. He was telling me all about remote viewing. Do you know about this? No. It's where I can, by like... By the way... Yeah? Uh-huh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You said by the way. Okay. By the way, for this um, adjustable health slippers, it only comes in color navy, and you will order two. One for the ladies and one for the men. So am I correct? Um, that's what I'm considering. I'm, I haven't, I haven't uh, figured it out yet. Um, I just kind of wanted to talk to you about some other things first, just to make sure, you know, uh, I want to gauge the future. <laughs> so what would you like to know about the future? So what do you think, what do you think, wh where are we headed? Because there's a lot of upheaval going on, you know, in England and in, uh, in Europe, there's a serious debt crises on the mount. Uh Yes, I, I, I've actually heard that news, however, do you believe probably on the 21st is the end of the world? There's some people saying that, but... Uh, I don't believe it, do you? Actually, um, no, I'm not believing that, but there's a lot of talks about... There uh, is a lot of talks. People love to talk. People love to speculate. They love to be like, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I saw a guy go in there and he didn't come out, so it's probably a death trap. <laughs> they probably okay. don't have a back door. Probably that will be the end of the world on the twenty first. We don't know, but uh, yeah, we don't. May. We don't know. It may be. We all we can do is find out. You know, it'd be funny. You know, it'd be a funny trick though, as if it was the twenty second. It was no, like probably worse for true. Everybody breathes a sigh of release, and then it's like, bam! There comes the rocks, the hot rocks raining down. So, yeah, have you ever been on an air? What? There's no rocks, and uh, I've heard the news that NASA was uh, actually they informed us that there will be no meteors on that day, so probably there will be no rocks. Wow, so you you, uh, you looked into this whole thing. Yes, I'm actually very curious about the end of the world, because we don't know, probably tomorrow or on the 21st, and because, you, uh, one of my friends, I'm sorry? You said one of your friends what? Actually, one of my friend is um, is a preacher. He's actually a preacher of one of the church, and he's uh, he's actually telling me that there's a lot of signs that well, probably might be the end of the world. But it is not on the twenty first. But uh, there's a lot of signs right now going mm -hmm. on that probably it's 
near the end of the world, but there will, do no specific, but there will be no specific dates. And I do <laughs> believe that there will be an end of the world, but not on the 21st. So do you think it will be in your lifetime? I don't know. <laughs> so do you have a lot of debt? Um, no. Okay, because if you did, that would be a good thing for the end of the world, you know? Okay, so I'll tell you what, on your, I'm sorry. Well, that's the thing is, if you have a lot of debt, the end of the world is like, don't have to worry about that debt anymore. You yeah. know, because it's been it's been a, the slate has been wiped clean. It's back to bacteria, unless the uh -huh. bacteria form up into like a bank, and they're like, hey, uh, you owe us uh, so much metaphysical dollars. <laughs> Do you think the bacteria are intelligent? Intelligence, um, probably. I mean, are you a vegetarian? No. Oh, uh, do what's your favorite type of meat? Favorite type of meat, I love beef. Beef is good. Beef is sort of a classic, isn't it? Yes. Like everyone likes beef. Even like Muslims like beef. Jewish people like beef. Um, all Amish people like beef. It's like their mm -hmm. general. It's like the meat of religion is beef, except exactly. for the Hindus. The Hindus don't really like beef, do they? Because cows are sacred, aren't they? And uh, and and um, the, the Hindu religion. Yeah, it's like John Lennon. You know John Lennon. Yes. What do you think about him? John Lennon. Yeah, he's a good singer and composer, and he's one of the best, actually. Yeah. The business. Uh, yeah. And. What's your favorite? Actually, um, I'm sorry. You were saying actually. Actually, John Lennon. Um, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, she, he is one of the vocalists of the Beatles, am I correct? Uh, yeah, you're correct. You got that right, buddy. <laughs> he is one of the vocalists of the Beatles, the one being Paul McCartney, which is so funny you mentioned this, because Paul McCartney is a good buddy of Chris Holmes, who I'm going to talk to here soon, and it's like, how is that possible? You know, he just is that he's like he's like a plugged in guy. He just sort of plugged into the the uh, the Matrix, the the uh, international. Uh, the the network he's plugged into the network but he's not like you know a lot of times, a lot of times people who are plugged into the network are all like I'm plugged into the network I'm plugged in yeah he's not like that at all it's the opposite you you ever listen to Harry Nilsson I'm sorry Harry Nilsson uh, I do apologize I don't know him oh you should check him out if you like the Beatles you'll love Harry Nilsson uh, I'm not kidding at all uh, I'm talking about for real. I get it, you know, no one likes it when I get on my roof and scream about shit, but uh, I do sometimes, but it's like, that's my vernacular, is screaming. Uh, last <laughs> night I was, know. last night we, uh, me and the missus made some Christmas ornaments and got kind of toasted and watched a movie called Christmas Lodge, you ever seen that one? Christmas no. Lodge? It's really bad. It's like about a guy from the city who's trying to get the girl who likes to be in the country, and you know, they don't, they can't agree. What do you think is better, the city or the country? Um, both. What's better, shrimp or fish? Both. Well, come on, if you had to pick one. Let's say you got, you got a shrimp in one hand and a fish in the other. What are you going to eat? Um, fish, because okay. they do have allergies on shrimp. Ah, yeah, that's a common thing. What does that mean? Is that the end of the world? Probably. <laughs> Probably. We don't know. What are some other signs of the end of the world, you think? You think it's like... Um, sir, but... Probably Obama. Uh, um, <laughs> okay, so some people think the way, he's um, the antichrist. I'm sorry. Some people think that Obama is the antichrist. 
Um, they also think that uh, the Jesus came about when someone spooged on a Christmas tree. I'm sorry. I said some people think that Jesus came about from from someone jizzing on a Christmas. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Well, yes, sir. I'm, uh, I'm I'm not doing that. Are you doing that? No, um, probably there will be a problem connection. So what about Obama? I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, some people say that Obama is the Antichrist. So have you ever heard that Obama could be the Antichrist? No. Oh, I don't. I don't think he is. But some people say that Obama is the Antichrist. They say that he's come uh, to reckon with the souls of the Lord, and he will steal your shoes in the night, like like Papa Christmas, like the like the Krampus. Obama, if you take the words Obama, O, which is the twelfth letter of the alphabet, B, second, A, first, you mix those letters up and you get number 23, which is the same number of letters in the word Krampus, which is an ancient German, German fairy tale, which is actually ancienter than Germany. It's like thousands of years old about the reckoning uh, goat Christ crasher that comes back from future heaven and steals the souls of the bad by spanking them wickedly. And that's what they say Obama is. Okay, so by the way, um, sir, is there anything else? By the way, I may help you with. Oh, there's nothing else, Joey. I'm good. I'm going to talk to Chris now for a little bit. Is that okay? You might have to talk to Chris? Uh, no. Okay, I'm going uh, to talk to Chris. Way, um... Oh, my God. We're going. We are going. We have begun. Is that okay? Uh, yeah. Hey, this is it. This is the beginning of it. I'm uh, sitting here with Chris Holmes in a pretty immaculate uh, home studio here. I mean, maybe not immaculate's the word, but it's... Yes, uh, it's definitely it's not immaculate. <laughs> immaculate would conjure up images of some kind of organizational right. structure. Right, yeah. I, I guess I mean immaculate, and it's... Uh, there's just nothing... There's nothing you don't have, if I feel like, here. It's pretty incredible. There's a lot of knobs and things Yeah, a lot turn. of knobs. You're a knob guy. Yeah. You're a knob I'm twister. a knob. <laughs> when did you first start twisting knobs? Uh, I got my first uh, since when I was in seventh grade, I think. Um, and uh, it, was it was a Korg Poly 800. And then right after that, I got a, a Moog um, that was the realistic, the MG1 okay. or whatever. That uh, And then... Uh, that's a pretty small one, right? Yeah, that's like the teeny one that was like the Moog Rogue, but it was made by Radio Shack. Is that um, the one like did the Ohio Players use or something like that? I think that? the Ohio like Players that? might have used the Source. Or, the Source? <laughs> the Moog Source. Um, and then I started collecting like modular stuff when I was in college and totally super nerded out on... That's actually the Micro Moog that I have over there. It was like okay. my first like synth that I still wow. kind of have. But... Uh, I really loved, uh, the, I used to have like rooms full of modular synthesizers yeah. and stuff. And then I realized at some point that it was like, uh, pretty much, it's redundant. Um, Is that yeah, it? well, not redundant. It was, uh, the kind of thing where I was spending more time maintaining them and, uh, collecting them than I was playing them and <laughs> making sounds with them. And I used to be a total analog dick and, you know, was really anti MIDI and stuff. Yeah. And then. I realized at some point that that was the most moronic thing or stance that I've ever taken in my life. And I'd rather be able to, it's not very really much ever the sounds, it's the taste and it's, you know, what you do yeah. with it. So 
I'd rather be able to carry around a studio on my laptop and be able to record anywhere I want. But there is something magical about having having knobs to turn and, uh, yeah. you know, something to get out of the linear mode of, of thinking, which is why modulars are so awesome, because you just have it's no idea. Tactile. If you do this thing, you don't know exactly what it's going to do, which we were talking about the Teenage Engineering right, OP1. Yeah. Which I may be buying here. Yeah, I would recommend it. We should, we should have an OP1 uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> band where we all play them like Kraftwerk, yeah. um, but really poorly. And crazy. You can have like one for each hand, really. Yeah. And this, this podcast is brought to you by the Teenage Engineering OP1. <laughs> if they give me one for free, I will bring it to you by them. Yes. Teenage Engineering. Thank you. Thank you very From much. Sweden. Sweden? They're Swedish? Of course I think they're they Swedish. Are, yes. It looks so nice. Yes, it's, it's like, so nice. Yeah. Um, have you seen the Donkey Kong drummer on it? No. Oh, no, I saw a little picture of it. Yeah. It's got like the, the sequences on it. Sequence. This is such weird gear talk. We've, uh-huh. we've turned into gear talk. Uh, but this, gear talk. the sequencers on it, one of them is a little guy and you push it and he plays that. Uh, you select the notes and he, you, you see where he's playing on the fingers. And then the drum sequencer right. is a is a Donkey Kong guy and he's playing so the drums playing and, the and he drums. plays the different drums. And then you can switch uh-huh. between sequences. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. Get it. Anyway, I think we just lost most of your audience. Okay. So now we can talk about stuff that matters. <laughs> so you, uh, how did you get into music initially? Like, were you always a... I played in uh, in bands and stuff from like right. junior high school on, and then... What was your first instrument? Um, my first instrument was my, uh, it was my Korg. Uh, really? So you've been a key, key player all Well, I'm more of a guitar player. I, okay. uh, you know, I started playing guitar probably in like seventh grade. Um, and I've been playing. That's when since. I started playing bass. Is it? Yeah, it's like Sweet. it's like a weird age. It's like this yeah. age where all of a sudden you realize you can play the music that you want to play. Yeah. Because I, I took piano, I took cello, took a bunch of other things. But I never got into it. But then it's like we started started a band with some friends, and I got a bass, and I was yeah. like, okay. Now I'm into this. Took acid, like, listened to the Velvet shit. Underground, exactly. and realized that you, rather yeah. than playing sports and, you know, yeah. riding around on your BMX bike, you could play guitar and exactly. ride around on your BMX bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and then when I was in college, I had a band in Chicago, and it was I, I lived in the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park, which is okay. kind of this little island in the middle of nowhere. Right. And playing in a band kept me um, social and made me not go insane from being too academic and stuff. Really? So. Where did you go to school there? University of Chicago. Okay, that's a good school. Yeah, it's a good school. <laughs> it's a very good school. What did you study there? I studied religion and humanities. Oh, wow. Um, I did my honors paper there on uh, how how alien types from uh, uh-huh. firsthand reports of uh, of alien sightings varied over time and place. So, oh, this is very interesting. I have to, I was talking to my friend. Duncan I had a UFO radio this. show for like seven years really? in Hyde Park. Yeah, where Holy we interviewed shit. like Bigfoot hunters in Heaven's Gate before their mass suicide. And uh, oh man, you talked to Marshall Applewhite before that? It wasn't Marshall Applewhite. Oh. It was it was his lieutenants that were going around man. to recruit people for the final uh, mission before the world was rebooted. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with him there's something about that guy it's like he gets me like i feel like I'll, i would follow him i would it follow was, him do you know who mike royko is he was like a chicago so, he's, no. he's kind of a studs turkle type guy but he was a chicago tribune okay. writer for about 60 years and i remember when the heaven's gate guys were coming around and there was another guy who wrote about the pyramids on mars his name's richard hoagland okay but uh around the time that those guys had came to my show I called him up and I was like, hey, you should do a story on these guys because it's a really weird thing. And I went and told him the whole story about how Richard Hoagland had this theory that the U.S. was going to fake a UFO invasion in order to declare martial law so that George Bush could remain president. Wow. And they would uh, nix the election against Clinton or something crazy. 
And so I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And, yeah. you know, Richard Hoagland's the kind of guy who drops around the fact that he worked at NASA or Jet Propulsion Laboratories and stuff. And he is a pretty smart guy, but he's a total fucking whack job. You know, he's like <laughs> out of his mind. Um, All those former guys always are. It's yeah. Like, they used to work there. <laughs> Why don't you work there anymore? Well. Well, a lot of the guys, too. It's like, if you, I don't know if you saw the, the stuff on the, the, the food, uh, genetic food labeling stuff, but the ad that the Monsanto people hired okay. had some yeah. some doctor and it I was like, he's like, I'm a physician or whatever. Turns out the guy's not a doctor. It said underneath, it was like Stanford uh, mm -hmm. Medicine. His office is on the campus of Stanford, but he's <laughs> not at Stanford. So Hoagland oh, might yeah. have worked at JPL, but I don't know if he fully did. He but definitely he got coffee there at least yeah. once a week. <laughs> but he had this whole theory about how they were going to fake this UFO invasion. So I called up Mike Ryko and told him the whole story in detail. And uh, at the end of it, he was like, I want to tell you something that I've learned in the 50 years of, you know, writing my column. It's that uh, that crazy people aren't funny. Crazy people are sad. <laughs> and that, uh, <laughs> that by indulging them, sometimes you make it worse. Um, yeah, because like, you give them a voice. There's a book like... called When Prophecy Fails. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't, no. It's, a, it's an amazing book um, by this guy, Leon Pressinger. And uh, he basically did a, I think it was like for a dissertation, but they lived with a... Uh, a cult and basically you know we're trying to you know be a member of it and then i kind of tell the story of the cult right. by kind of you know witnessing it in real time but what they found out is that by them being a part of the cult themselves they ended up pushing the cult people in certain directions really? that they wouldn't have gotten into so it's like the idea of like heisenberg's uncertainty right, principle, exactly the, where it's impossible to observe because without, without, without affecting yeah. yeah and so um you know, one of the things that started to happen with the UFO radio show, especially after the Heaven's Gate stuff, like, you know, because we interviewed them and they they were big fans of the Art Bell show and they had oh, all yeah, these theories and they were asking me about like, you know, well, Art Bell said this. What do you think about that? I'm like, don't ever believe there's, do you know, Robert Anton Wilson? I know that name. He wrote the Illuminatus trilogy, okay. but uh, he's, yeah, I read that, but he's, he's a, a modern, uh, you know like philosophical genius but uh he was an amazing guy but he had a whole like kind of theory about belief systems and stuff but he would always say like never believe your own belief system too much or anyone else's so it's like okay. kind of like the Aleister Crowley like mentality okay. where right. we're all robots and we're all programmed from the time that we're born with information and whether you read Fortune magazine or like Tennis Weekly or whatever, your world is basically filtered through whichever like kind of filters that you have around you. And right. what happens with conspiracy theories is that if you start to kind of believe in something, you'll find things that validate whatever exactly. that belief system is. Isn't it called like the moving target theory? There's something about that. I've heard that, that Wilson called it the entering the chapel perilous, but uh, the moving entering target maybe. Chapel may be, perilous? What yeah. does that mean exactly? It's like when your belief system starts to reinforce itself to the extent that it becomes like a religion for you okay. and it becomes things that were once conjecture become things of faith because you've been validated so much. Right. And, what I found with like conspiracy theory stuff is that it's f like all reality is fractal in nature, meaning that if you zoom in to a certain point of detail, yeah. you'll find correspondences and you'll find like, you know, so if you believed that there were gnomes that were throwing quarters on the ground everywhere, mm -hmm. if you're looking for quarters <laughs> on the ground everywhere, you could probably find right. them. Like yeah. a famous example is like the number 23, where exactly, a lot of people yeah. in magic, like attach significance to number 23. And then you see it everywhere. You're like, maybe Michael Jordan's a Mason, you know, right. or whatever, you know, the case may be. Um, really just, you can, with numbers, you can almost make any sort of significance. If you just, this plus this is yeah. this. And this I know. I love the, that, uh, so the, the Nostradamus, 
guys are the best because they have all of these different ways that they've figured out how to twist around information in order to make it direct. So what we do is uh, we, we cut off any redundant letters at the end of the word, exactly. and then we do an inversion of the first two letters, and then the, yeah, uh, so the, the, the WB becomes MP, and you're like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, you know, like you, it's you're, like, going, you're spending so much energy to make the thing that you want to see. It's, yeah. like, it's like you're a sculptor or something of bullshit, yeah, basically. Totally. Well, there's that line in Hamlet where he's talking about the clouds, and he's like, me thinks it's a chicken hawk it's like reality is pretty much what you make of it yeah and and so what i found is that like when you you're talking about you know conspiracy stuff like whatever level you choose to stop at at the zoom like a fractal when you keep zooming in the complexity stays the same right. whether it's fundamentalism religion or it's you know believing that there are fairies running around or ufo abductions mm -hmm. like you'll find correspondences and stuff that will make sense and you know if you believe right. that like you know, such a thing is true, then you'll find it. So when the Heaven's Gate people had come, they'd been listening to Art Bell. And there was a guy named Courtney Brown that um, was a remote viewer, which I'd okay. love to talk to you about remote viewing oh, stuff. Yeah, I spent I spent so four months with the remote viewers, which Man. was amazing. But, I didn't know. I didn't think we. I thought we were gonna hear some rock and roll stories. I got rock and today. roll stories for you too. <laughs> I know that's great. Though. But uh, it's such a happy surprise. But I, Courtney Brown had basically done this remote viewing where he thought that there was a gigantic spaceship around the size of the planet Earth with intelligent life forms on it behind the Hale-Bob comment on the Art Bell show. Right. And so when Heaven's Gate were going around there, basically they had posted this full page ad in the Chicago Sun-Times and, and basically read like uh, a bad script from uh, from Star Trek, but it was like Earth was like a holodeck. We were all living inside of a hologram, mm -hmm. which we were learning lessons for, and the lessons were over, and buses were going to come down from the place of heaven and pick people up and then take buses. them buses oh. like you know yeah greyhound intergalactic well, greyhounds yeah intergalactic <laughs> greyhounds like the idea that that a ufo is like just a carrier that picks right. your body your physical body up and at this point it was a physical body so i'm like so ufos are going to come down to the place of chicago for instance mm. and they're going to pick certain people up and then they're going to go to the place of heaven and they're like yeah totally and then by listening to their bell show they, this was like a year later they had they'd come up with the idea that they needed to shed their human body in order to be picked up in the non-physical bus okay. at that point and so it was it was kind of fucked up because i found that even even if you're interested in that stuff as you know like i think it's in terms of like anthropology and in terms of like understanding society like when you look at the fringes of things yeah, it, yeah. you learn so much about how the actual you know society works or right. or whatever in the kind of outliers theory but um it was so sad when they when they killed themselves cuz you know you like realize that all of these kind of wacky you know theories that people like Courtney Brown had had about mm -hmm. there being a you know a ufo in the back tail of this comet had led in some major way to them to make the decision that this was going to be the time you know uh, probably they were going to do it anyway yeah. and like when i met with them like they came to the campus and stuff and they were all had their shirts buttoned up to the top button yeah they look like cholo like gangbanger guys <laughs> but they didn't drink any caffeine or any sugar like they all had wedding oh. rings on and stuff but, but i had no idea at the time that they had like you know like neutered themselves and you know all the other odd stuff that went along with it yeah. but we did a music video with uh howard kramer um do you, do you know a dragon boy suede or? yeah i know howard i've known yeah. him for a long time yeah. so howard in the ash Command video we did 
did. Um, we recreated the interviews. Yes, Command, right? we recreated the interviews from the Heaven's Gate. It made it about Ashtar Command, but they commit the mass suicide. But then it turns out that they were right, and Earth gets exploded, and they're all partying in heaven afterwards. So but the, for seven minutes of the video, is Howard trying to convert everybody to join <laughs> the Howard, Ashtar Command? I can see Howard being pretty uh, convincing. He's really good in it. He's, he's, good. he's a great actor. Like yeah. he, he does his character, but man, that guy is like uh, he's he could be. I think yeah. an amazing dramatic actor if he ever decided to go in that direction. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to I'll poke him. I met him with uh, with <laughs> Jonah Ray. We did a, a thing together called Quit Pl Playing Video Games and Get Laid, but I did the music. What is that? Is that a... It was a Dragon Boy Suede Jonah, okay, yeah, Jonah Ray thing. Okay, yeah, Quit Playing Video Games Get Laid. I remember this. this is... So I did the music yeah. for that with those guys. But uh... I remember that. That was a while ago. God, I think, I'm trying to think when that that was like, a couple, I think that was during Super Deluxe days. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. That was uh, and that, the heyday of uh, internet videos. Yeah. It was like, quit spending time playing Donkey Kong, pay some attention to your lonely dong. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty awesome. But you did the music, right? I did the music. I did not write the awesome lyrics. That was yeah. Howard and Jonah. Yeah, Howard's got good rap skills. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, so for the can we talk the remote viewing stuff yeah, is yeah, amazing. Yeah, I want to hear about that. So Neil Strauss, the guy who wrote the game and the dirt and you know the the, the Motley Crew, he wrote the pickup artist book. Okay, the game. yeah, I was about to say that's the game. That's yeah, the one where you and he wrote the Motley Crew like biography book, the dirt. He wrote the Marilyn okay. Manson book, but he was a head music writer for the New York Times. And um, I had this idea of doing this kind of Hunter S. Thompson experiential journalism, like George Plimpton thing, where we went and lived with these remote viewers and they trained us to do remote viewing. And then we would tell the story of remote viewing and the weird psychic, uh, you know, Cold War that happened between right. the Russians and the U.S. and stuff. And so Neil and I went around and we studied with a bunch of different remote viewers and like, you know, went to a bunch of conferences and did training at the Monroe Institute and stuff. And both Neil and I got really good at remote viewing and it was really freaking. So what does that mean you got good at remote viewing? You so like basically remote viewing is is you you go to places in your mind's eye and everybody has the capacity to do it that's like the one thing that's the amazing about it is that so we should probably explain it first yeah so let's explain do. remote viewing because there was the men who stare at goats movie which the book itself is interesting but the movie was just a weird comedy right based on the concept of it but remote viewing was this psychic spy stuff that was uh it was started by these two guys at the stanford research institute um hal Puthoff and uh russell targ and they were doing research basically to figure out the limits of the human potential during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. So they were working with NASA and the CIA basically trying to do things with like, you know, they had one experiment where they had an astronaut in outer space and they'd shine light on someone's pupil and then they'd see if the astronaut in outer space could like perceive when the light was hitting his friend's eyeball or whatever. And like wow. if there was any and they did weird experiments where the Russians were doing where they would take like two baby baby rabbits and then have the mother rabbit be on shore and then take the baby rabbits in a submarine and electrocute them and see if the mother rabbit had any kind of nervous response that like the weird horrible. the weirdest stuff was happening eating rabbits in a submarine and it started off in the 50s where the russians had faked they planted a story in Le Mans, which is a parisian newspaper about how the U.S. was using psychics in Nautilus submarines to do sonar with each other so that it was untraceable. And it was completely a 
fake story. Like the Americans were never using psychics to do, you know, relay, Wait, relay the, communications. The French newspaper and the story? The, the French newspaper, but it was planted by the Russian okay. intelligence. So they could then show Stalin that the U.S. was doing it to, en yeah. to enable them to be able to do it with their uh, the psychotronics and weird experiments that they did. And then the U.S. found out that the Russians were doing it. And so then they started to do it. So it's this weird thing where it, it right. kind of became a reality because of a fake story about it and stuff. But um, I had the same thing happen to me with my roommate because he bought some Diet Coke. Uh -huh. Someone left some Diet Coke at our house and we started buying it for each other. Thinking that we were finishing off each other's Diet Coke when neither of us wanted the Diet Coke. That's awesome. That's my. I kind of started Diet uh, Dr Pepper in the same way. Like it's a gateway drug. Yeah. Um, but then, so what happened was they did this experiment um, with this guy Ingo Swan, and they had this thing called a magnometer, and the magnometer was uh, a neutrino detector. So basically, neutrinos are subatomic particles right. that pass through the Earth at the speed of light, and they're like. So the way that they detect them is they build these you know couple hundred feet deep shafts and then they have like a sensor in in the ground that basically you know can can trace when they go through and so they had they were trying to see if they could get someone to move the the machine with the power of their mind okay. and so this guy ingo swan came in and he started to draw a picture of what the thing looked like and the thing starts going nuts and they're like how are you making it move and he's like i have no idea i'm just looking in my mind's eye and drawing mm -hmm. a picture of it and they're like well how do you, how do you draw, go in your mind's eye and draw a picture? He's like, well, I just it's something that I can do, and so they're like, well, that's fascinating. Why don't why don't we try to do this? We'll have they took a VW um, Beetle, and it was like in 1969, I think, or 1970, and they had a random number generator in the front seat, mm -hmm. and at a certain point in time, some dude would push a button and it would generate a random number, and then they'd have a hundred envelopes in there, and each one would have a location, so it'd be like Golden Gate Bridge Park, and then they'd have a guy get out of the Volkswagen and walk around in Golden Gate Bridge Park. And then Ingo Swan would draw pictures of where the people were. And so he'd, is, is he's drawing pictures of what that person is seeing. Where they're, where they're seeing okay. at that place and time. And so he did this for a couple of months for them. And after a while, he's like, look, you know, I've proven that I can do this pretty, so he, pretty much. He like, proved it. He did yeah, it I mean, his, his remote viewing sessions are absolutely mind-blowing. So um, this, is, this is not like... Um, you're kind of a skeptic, right? Would you consider, oh, yeah, I, I absolutely... So, this is am, something that is... It's a hundred percent doable. I've done it myself, and it's really crazy. So I'll explain okay. how it how it evolves. So he does that, and then they were like, "Well, can you go to places all over the world and and see if you can draw things?" So the U.S. had they had pictures from a U-2 spy photo uh -huh. of an installation that the Russians were building. I think it was like in Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan or something. And they didn't, the, the U.S. government didn't know what they were building. And, and so the CIA was like, can you go there in your mind's eye like you did in the Golden Gate Bridge Park and draw mm -hmm. a picture of what you see? And so he was like, yeah, I can totally go there and do it. And so he drew a picture and he draws the whole compound and draws like all this stuff. Jeez. And they're like, how how the fuck is this guy doing this stuff? Has he going like, is he a spy? Like, you know, did did he like have friends that were Russians that are informing him of this stuff? Because, right. and so he does this whole description it of the base. Seems too good to be. It seems impossible. And he draws this extra thing in there, which was this mile long crane system that went from the the base to this river, and apparently. Under the first U2 photos, it's not there. So they're mm -hmm. like, well, it's amazing that you were able to draw this place. And you remember, but if you're going to add on stuff, it has zero intelligence value because we can't tell right. which is made up and which, which is real. Um, and then they got new U2 photos like a couple of months later, and they had built the crane system that he had drawn, and it was like exactly how he drew it. And so then the head of the, the CIA who was overseeing the program at the time was like, well, let me 
I'll pick a target that only I know. So there's no way that they'll be able to leak the information. Or something. <laughs> Zing. Um, it, it was his, it was his childhood home in, uh, in the Adirondacks, I think. And, uh, so both they have two remote viewers at this point. It's a guy named Pat Price and and uh, and Ingo Swan, and they both draw like they're like, "Oh, there's this little house." They're like, "But like a couple hundred yards away, there's an underground base," and they like start drawing the dimensions of the rooms and like names on file cabinets and stuff. This is the viewer. This is the remote viewers, and it turns out that there was a secret NSA base that was built by this guy's childhood home, and that in their like total like non uh, you know secret uh level security clearance stuff named like 14 nsa projects and stuff and so then the nsa freaks out about it and they're like you have like an absolute like spy in your you know like there's no way that you know somebody could have gone there in their mind's eye and this started this whole thing where for like 15 years there was like a, a u.s government remote viewing program so the guy ingo swan ended up developing it for the army mm -hmm. and he basically developed a training system what they found they originally tried to find if they could find a way that they could find the most psychic people and they right. found like that that like whether they could like filter out like the, like the recruits yeah like x-men style did they figure that out at all? no and they found that everybody could do it so, so there's, there's no like there's no one. There's no one. One person who's better. Like yeah. Well, there are people who are phenomenal at doing it, but there there's no way of knowing you're initially. Not yeah, it's like you have to try it first, wow. and uh, and so they developed a system where if a lot of people remote view the same thing, then you can overlay all the different remote viewing sessions and kind of get a consensus remote viewing. Jeez. So they did amazing stuff. There was one called the Alexandria Project where um, this guy Stephen Schwartz went to. Egypt and he asked I think the guys were from Oxford or from Cambridge and they were he asked them what the five most sought after sites in Alexandria that they hadn't found were mm -hmm. and then didn't tell the remote viewers what they were supposed to be looking basically you're given a random digit and the idea is that in the collective unconscious like or the, they call it the matrix which is awesome because then they made the yeah. matrix movie so all of the weird terminology has been co-opted by like you know pop movies and stuff yeah. but they would uh they would have be given this target and the idea was that if somebody could put a coordinates to the target that you could then and intentionally link the two of them together that you could then give someone just the coordinates and they could go to the target in their mind's eye in a remote viewing session and so for the alexandria project they end up finding like cleopatra's palace and it's in the water and like they go there and they like scuba dive and find it and the drawings match up with with where they drew them and stuff and like it's it's the most bizarre thing Ever so, when Neil and I went to go train to do it, we're in a room with this guy Paul Smith, and what was, when you when you went there, what was your thought when you first went there? Are you are you going there? As I like I went in there as a believer that this is probably the only psychic phenomena that's ever been proven in okay. a laboratory environment. And there's hundreds about, of thousands of examples at like Stanford and at Harvard and at, you know, you read all about that. Yeah. Stuff and and I'd interviewed some of the people before going into train, what the pressure was when we went in was like, what if I suck at this? Like uh -huh. they say that everybody can do it, but like, so we're in the sessions doing it and you don't go into transit. You basically just close your eyes and like, you know, you, you, you get senses, you get smells, you get taste and like your visual things are the most often like incorrect because your left brain is trying to analyze the information as it comes in. There's an amazing book by Upton Sinclair, the okay. the writer that wrote The Jungle and yeah. stuff. 
but he did a book called mental radio and he would do experiments with his wife where he would look at a picture of something and then she would draw a picture of what he's looking at. And so he might be looking at a pair of glasses and she might draw a monkey that was in the shape of the glasses. But what happened was that her right brain and the image was almost always right, but her left brain, when it analyzed the image, almost almost always got it wrong. And so there's a book called mental radio and Albert Einstein does the introduction to it. And it's amazing. It's the most phenomenal like human thing. And some people are like, his wife was just really good at doing it. Yeah. But they didn't have a framework to kind of put it into. And so when we were doing the sessions, um, it was like, fuck, how do I become more Yoda-like? You know, you're like sitting there like, well, what if I How does it start? How do so we're given a 16-digit random number. So they just give you a 16-digit number. It can be anything. It could okay. be a 30-digit random number. It could be no number. It's so, just so long as there's a causal like a, combination and okay. it's all double blind. So the person giving you the number doesn't know what the target is either. But so can you like walk me through like the whole thing? Like yeah. they take you into a room. And so like, we're sitting at a table, like sitting at a table and just a nondescript. And there's, room. there's a table full of envelopes, all of okay. which have these 16 digit numbers on it. Right. And then we're given it. And then we're, we write down our name, the time, the date. And then we, you start off and you get a gestalt of whatever the, uh, the object is, which is like, like the kind of sense of what the object is, so whether you're told it's what this, what this no, no, no. You're basically just you. You have an autonomic like when they read the number to you, you just scribble something. So you just sort of uh, it's like free, just free, yeah, top of the head. Literally, literally, your hand just has an impulse and you draw okay. something. And it's you're not trying to draw it. You're trying to draw a feeling of what it is. Okay. And so it's really weird. You learn after doing that for a while that man-made objects feel a certain way that water feels a certain way yeah. that like land masses feel a certain way so if you get like a right angle it's usually like a landmass. Right. I, I mean it's usually a man-made object but if okay. you get like a rolling wavy feeling it might be water and if you like but it's it's really fucking weird and the things never look like you know your your initial uh, they're called ideograms uh, okay. but those never look like whatever the object is but it's just to kind of link you in to the target and then the next stage of it you start to list adjectives that describe the target. How long of, like, how, what's the time frame here? It might be, you know, a minute and a half for the ideogram. Okay. And then maybe 15 minutes for the second step, which and is the with adjectives. Another person with like we're a, with the guy who also is double blind, so he doesn't know what it is that we're we're remote viewing, but he's just so keeping just, us from analyzing it. So, so it's, it's, when you're listing things, you're thinking of taste, smells, sounds you can hear. If you have visuals and they're like, you know, he'll the, the it's called the um, uh, what is it the the remote viewer and and the. Uh, so like an analyst basically that's with you that that right. uh, that, that monitors they're called the Mon- monitor or whatever okay. so the monitor the monitor basically monitor. gets you from analyzing the information so they're okay. like if you're like oh it's a volcano they're like don't say it's a volcano just, just draw the the lava you know just right. like explain that this the smells the sounds the the shapes and the more you do that it's almost like you've got an aperture to a camera and the wider the more you kind of ping the target, the wider the aperture gets until you start getting like visuals. So I can show you later on some of the ones that I did, but it's unbelievable because while you're doing it, you have no idea. You're just, it could be anything in the world. It could be a golf course in France. It could be like a nuclear reactor. It could be the St. Louis arch. It could be like a bridge somewhere. Like a river. Yeah. It could (laughs) be, you know, a ping pong table. I mean, it literally could be any object or thing in the history of space time. And so you're doing the stuff and you start drawing things and like your mind gets drawn to certain things. So there was one that, that I really remember where I was like, holy shit, this fucking works. And like, there's no way that it could have been anything other than what I do. But I started drawing all of these sine waves right. and I'm drawing this lattice work and I'm seeing like a roller coaster in my mind's eye and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And then I get this image of a gondola cable car and I'm like right down on the side. It's like, you're never supposed to see direct things. And whenever you do, you're supposed to put them off to the side and then like go back to the target. So I write down red gondola cable car. And then I see a a Ferris wheel and I'm like, write down Ferris wheeler, get this roller coaster, write down roller coaster. And I keep getting this this lattice work and lines, like kind of steel lines emanating from things. And so after a while of doing it, you give a summary of whatever these like little sketches that you drew are. Mm -hmm. And so I draw it out and then I do a summary and it's like a a cliffy landmass with a, a bridge-like thing that's on it really strong roller coaster and ferris wheel and and gondola cable car overlay and stuff and then he showed me a picture of it and it was the royal gorge bridge and there's a fucking roller coaster in the parking lot Mm -hmm. there's a ferris wheel and there's a red gondola cable car that goes across next to the bridge and i'd basically been drawing the bridge over and over again with these sine wave things but not knowing what it was and drawing out like all the different elements of it and so that, that's step three where you do like the, the drawings and like the analysis. Step six in the government program, they'd make like a clay model of whatever Jesus. it was. But it's the weirdest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done a lot of weird things in my life. And it's the most profound. We just did. We had Paul Smith a couple of months ago come and give a, a free seminar on the remote viewing stuff. And he gave like a seven hour lecture on it. We said we, is that? Me and Neil Strauss. Okay. Um, and he came and did a lecture at uh, the, whatever that um, the Lowe's Hotel, like next to okay. the Hollywood Howling Compound. Yeah, next to the Beverly and it was, Center. It, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing to see uh, you know the amount of hard facts that they have on it, yeah. and, and like just you know the results of his remote viewing sessions and stuff. Well, how is it that this is so? It isn't known by everyone and it's just, well it's, it's the kind of thing, thing with with all fringe stuff the reason i studied you know like in in my like weird anthropology major the reason i studied like the alien stuff is because it's completely ignored by academia because of the baggage that it has it's well, like remote, it's like penit- remote viewing is ignored yeah well the ufos remote viewing yeah. like all that stuff it's i think uh pen gillette called it newage sewage, newage uh, sewage. <laughs> but the idea that like you know all of these things are so tainted by people's belief systems around them that there's yeah. no reason to study them. But for me, I'm always interested in the belief systems. I don't care whether it's real or not. It's still fascinating yeah, it's to fascinating me. It's like the, UFO conspiracy theories things, to me yeah. are way more interesting than most comic books or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. and to see the twists of logic that people come and the validations that they find, it's like, I love to see that process. But with the remote viewing stuff, it's been so proven in like laboratory environments. Right. And it's really weird because no one really knows about it and everybody can do it. And it's like everyone that I've ever done a session with, with it Man. is like, I could have like a picture in my pocket and have you like draw it. And it's crazy, the correspondences you find. And again, it goes back to the, what we were talking about before where it's like, you can find correspondences in anything, mm-hmm. but I literally described a roller coaster and drew a picture of it and saw a red gondola cable car. So that's not like, hey, the number 23 means something special to right. me. That's really specific. And it's so- really weird with, uh, with that stuff. And they did the, there was a really, bad movie with ben kingsley i think it was called like suspect zero or something <laughs> I I saw that, um yeah. it was uh what's the guy who played two-face in the um oh, Tommy Lee jones no uh oh, the new one the uh, new aaron, one aaron aaron eckhart yeah aaron eckhart it's aaron eckhart and ben kingsley hmm. and it's it's a really bad movie but he plays like a remote viewer that's like tracking down a remote viewer or something remote viewer and then remote and then there was uh the men who stare at goats movie which mm-hmm. basically made fun of all of the people that we had interviewed in real life who 
were some of the coolest yeah and they're some of the most amazing people i mean to to be to be fair in john ronson's book about it he's Mm -hmm. pretty honest about the different guys and they just tend to focus on the outliers of the remote viewing world like the man who stared at the goat and made its heart stop or whatever like that wasn't a big part of the remote viewing program but it's a crazy thing that happened yeah and so like that would be quirky if uh if george clooney was some weird dude who right um weird dudes I still, yeah. I still just can't. It's strange to me to to, to hear all this uh, data and stuff about it, and it's just so. It's not talked about at all. It's really, really weird, and it's it's done at like Stanford. It's right. done, in, but not not in the same way again as like you know their office isn't on Stanford. Like these are like you know like amazingly brilliant. Like the guy Russell Targ was one of the inventors of the laser and he was the guy who developed the technology for the CIA where they could point a laser at a window pane and translate the vibrations of the window into conversations like at embassies and stuff but like these are brilliant brilliant people that are working on the stuff and like lieutenant colonels and like you know generals that are working on it's not like some dude that's in a you know a cult bookstore in the corner that's trying to convince you in the value of numerology. Do you think this will ever change? It'll ever become legitimized? Or do you think it's something where like the government has an interest in... I don't think... No, because it was, it was all declassified. There's a really interesting story with that. I mean, not to make this entire thing about remote viewing, but um, they, they declassified in 1995 um, and all of the remote viewer guys now teach training sessions. So people use it with business. There's weird stuff where people like have remote viewed the... Uh, the futures markets on silver and stuff and like and you could do what's called associative remote viewing Mm -hmm. which is like i'm going to show you one of two things tomorrow draw one draw what you think i'm going to show you tomorrow and then unbeknownst to you unbeknownst to you i would have associated those two things so i could take like the events of the pacquiao fight or something and be like pacquiao equals an apple the other dude equals an eraser if you drew an apple i would bet on pacquiao but like the whole thing is like it's a it's such a weird non-logical thing that mm-hmm. it doesn't follow like a, a kind of like newtonian logic at all it's right. very like it makes sense in like some kind of quantum mm-hmm. mechanics world but quantum mechanics world doesn't make any sense in our world and when people sit and try to figure out you can't describe it. there's no yeah there's i mean no it's like outside it. of having really vague metaphors like the uncertainty principle and then applying that to like conspiracy yeah. theories or something right it's like you know like action at a distance is like oh well maybe love's kind of like action at a distance or whatever but it's not you know it, it's it's yeah. like action at a distance is the two particles you know and it's like so there's a lot of really weird um, information out there, but they don't really understand and have a mechanism for how it actually works. So it's all kind of, it's all ex- uh, experiential information without theories where science is usually the other way around. Yeah. But kind of like, I mean, a lot of things they'll have research, but they go out to try to prove a theory. Usually mm-hmm. they usually don't just collect a bunch of information and say, well, what's causing this? But you know, yeah, it's like a retroact. It's like a, they're going about the other different direction. Yeah, and it's like so. all the theories they know are wrong. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like uh, pretty much everything that I've ever heard, which is great with the Einstein introduction to the the uh, Upton Sinclair book, because yeah. both of them are like, we have no idea what the fuck this thing is, but we know it works, and it's really fascinating. It is strange. There is something. Uh, there's this mushroom researcher I'm really interested in. His name's Paul Stamets, and he talks uh-huh. about how. Um, how uh, mycelium, the, the uh-huh. roots and the networks of, of fungus, uh-huh. is sort of like the pre-internet to the world. And yeah. how, how the world is covered 
it's literally covered in mycelium in, yeah. and how that the nodes and networks of, of mycelium are responsible for feeding uh, plants and yeah I mean and then there's like the like, Wendy Doniger kind of theory too where she, is, I don't know that. she was an anthropologist who basically studied the the origins of religion and found that most religions were started in areas with psychedelic mushrooms okay. that were, it was like this certain type of psychedelic mushroom. I don't know if you've, uh, have, have you, uh, read the spirit molecule or, uh, no, that's, that's the, the DMT, DMT book. Thing. No, I yeah. It's by Rick Straussman. Um, but that book and there's a documentary that they made on it. The yeah. documentary is awesome, except for the uh, the stuff with the uh, Joe Rogan um, little uh, interstitial things that he recorded. Not that I didn't see it. Like I don't mind Joe Rogan as you know his interest in DMT is like yeah. very genuine. Um, but the the way that those well, documentaries things are it's hard to make shot. a good doc. It's yeah. pretty hard. Well, you don't ever want to have that first person walking into the camera shot where they're like explain they're like. DMT, the spirit molecule. Look, as imagine me on the this yeah. podcast walking towards the camera, looking like an asshole and uh, very smug. And, you can and see suffering. your microphone too. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, like he's me. dressed up like a lab technician at one. Oh, it's right. a very Rod Serling like moments where he's like, hmm. But uh, <laughs> well, there, there's a, there's the a dude named Graham Hancock. Um, oh, right, yeah. who, who did this essay called "Elves Ayahuasca and uh, and Aliens," mm -hmm. and he basically makes the the claim that all prehistoric artwork like in the like cave painting stuff right. are actually paintings of psychedelic experiences and there's a total correspondence between uh those paintings and, and the wall on the walls of the caves of france and south africa like and the paintings that people make when they have ayahuasca trips right. and this idea of like they're called terianthropes which are like half man half beast like a minotaur or something okay like people often see those things in these states and yeah. then you look at like egyptian religion or like mm -hmm. greek mythology and you have all of these crossovers and the idea there's is like, that when a, you're in that like state that state of consciousness you right. do experience those things mm -hmm. and it's not symbolic in the sense that like the minotaur is half man half bull it's it's significant because it's explaining this psychedelic experience and this right. like connection to this higher state of consciousness in the same into way this invisible like, web have you read the jesus is a was a mushroom thing like no, uh that's another documentary dude who okay. writes about mushrooms but the whole idea is that like all i mean again it's it's a conspiracy theory but you know he basically claims that um the entire Jesus experiences the description of a of a psilocybin trip and wow. that it's all metaphorical and that Jesus was, was a mushroom. A mushroom. <laughs> Jesus was but, a you know a again cat. like it's I love it it's better than most comic books or whatever yeah. in terms of just That's being so interesting what people come up with. Yeah, I mean that whole thing with the with psilocybin and, and mushrooms is like I I think it, to go back to that it's like the because uh, you have this network this mycelium network uh -huh. which is kind is like a physical representation of like a of a of a neural network yeah. it also looks it well, looks like a neural network yeah i know so, it's amazing i mean the where, the the physiology yeah. of mushrooms is absolutely phenomenal it's insane yeah. how they can grow in any kind of like no right. light you know no it's like exactly. they just figure out a way to work i remember when wi-fi started coming out everyone well, would talk the about thing, the yeah. the lily pads and it mm -hmm. was like the concept that like if you don't 
if you have lily pads, they'll just kind of spawn and you could have these little hotspots. And by creating these hotspots, you could create a network all over the world that would cover the entire world. Right. And so when the, when the internet first started off, everyone, I remember reading articles on like Wired magazine, people were like, oh, and then the whole world will be cool. And like everybody yeah. will be interconnected and no one took into consideration that everybody would use that to, to a negative and figure out ways to like hack right. into your system and exactly. fuck with your shit. So now everyone's networks are past... Uh, were protected, protected and they aren't linked together and you know that's the weird thing about technology people always think about the most optimistic yeah like it'll bring way. everybody together and then yeah. they it always ends up being a way for it to pull people apart you know? right it's because this can always go so many different ways yeah like with with the internet you know you look at like facebook or... and the way that it like creates all this interconnectivity but then you also look at how any cor company can track every move that you right. ever make and, and like exploit you, know, you yeah and whatever. market to you yeah. or however mm -hmm. the fuck they they want to do it yeah or like robot technologies yes have you seen the ray kurzweil the trends i think it's called it's the either transcendent man transcendental man transcendental. Yeah, I that. yeah I mean yeah. it's amazing because he, he's absolutely like one of the most brilliant people brilliant, on the planet yeah. but it's amazing to see the people talk about his optimism and they're yeah. like they're like well yeah all these things that he's talking about might come true but each one of them has an equally bad downside right. to it I mean, those are also people there's people on that documentary who love him who yeah. think he's great and they're like uh, I love Ray he's great guys are amazing but Hey, yeah. uh, probably not going to happen anytime soon if, if it does. Yeah, and, and it's, it's such and a, it's so weird what his motivation, not to say that anyone's motivation to do anything genius is weird because everybody's right, always exactly. weird. But like the reason he's doing it is basically to recreate his dead his father. Dad. Like I, That's the first, and, that's the first time I've heard someone talk about this before because I have like a big thing, not against Kurzweil, but I, I get in arguments a lot about, because people, people quote Kurzweil like he's a prophet. Uh -huh. Like, you know, just don't worry about it. The technological uh, exponential growth technology yeah. will solve all of our problems, yeah. and which I think is bullshit. And I, I think it's funny. I was talking with this uh, author, James Howard Kunstler, who's uh -huh. uh, he's like a new urbanist author. Yeah. He talks about peak oil a lot, and he has he has some critiques of uh, Kurzweil. Uh -huh. and I was talking to him about the same thing about how it's interesting. I, I'm glad that you talk about peak oil on your yeah. show. I thought I was being a dick by not talking <laughs> oh, no, about no, it's okay. rock and roll. Yeah, but but Kunstler talks about. I mean, he talk, he talks about Kurzweil, but I was mentioning to him how. It's interesting that Kurzweil seems to be just motivated to bring back his father, who, who was. I mean, it's a great motivation. Yeah, I mean, it's it like. Is, but if you look at somebody like you know, like Isaac Newton was obsessed with you know trying to you know figure out ways to create the philosopher's stone, and like he uh -huh. was obsessed with uh, you know like systems of magic and and finding prophecy in the Old Testament, right. and then you know you look like every single person like Alexander Graham Bell was trying to. To develop a device to talk to dead to talk to dead people right, in the spirit right. world and stuff and it's that. like you know it's like we wouldn't have the telephone without that right. you know and it's like you know you read the stories about Nikolai Tesla like you know and, and, and all of his weird or, or, or even like uh, Wilhelm Reich where he's like shooting down UFOs in northern Maine when he's building his organ accumulators and cloud <laughs> busters and it's like well you know most of us have weird theories about shit, but sometimes come up with brilliant things as a byproduct. As a byproduct of <laughs> and, our motivation. Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, it's it's how people learn to exploit. Things. It's like, yeah. you know, like I Kurzweil. One of my first synthesizers was the K two thousand synthesizer, and it's like great. Ray Kurzweil just did that in a day. He invented, the, you know, text to speech, mm -hmm. and just decided that he was going to do it in like speech recognition, and you know, it's it's absolutely 
undeniable that he's had this massive role of shaping what our world is today yeah but then you look at it and you're like oh well why is he doing these things and you know to me ultimately it doesn't really matter what the dude's doing it for i have a friend named mike backus and uh he's he's probably one of the smartest dudes i've ever met in my life he was a science advisor on all the michael Crichton books and stuff and uh (laughs) We were talking about he went over to Sri Lanka to meet with Arthur C. Clarke. And he said that Arthur C. Clarke, he he played ping pong with him and he was like obsessed with ping pong. And he just had all these like villagers that basically like worshipped him as a god. And it's it's like... a cargo cult or something. Yeah, like literally like a ping pong cargo cult. And, you know, it's like Arthur C. Clarke is one of the most brilliant men of the 20th century. But like, what a weird fucking thing to do to go to Sri Lanka, just hang out with young boys, you know, and play ping pong. I remember reading some article by him couple of years ago where he was talking he was talking about how much he didn't like computers but and to be used in like regular day things like he was calling up to make an appointment with his dentist office uh-huh. and how they couldn't find his name and it took a long time because it wasn't in the computer he's like if you just had a piece of paper and a pencil you just write it down and you look it up and it's done yeah and it's so funny like the guy who invented the telecommunications satellite yeah. is being critical of the use of computers yeah and like a day-to-day thing it's so it's such a yeah, bizarre, it is a really, uh, really weird thing. Yeah. I, I had a professor at college that was talking about how before there were photocopy machines, he had a nearly photographic recall of every book that he'd ever written <laughs> and could cross-reference everything in his head. But once he knew, he could go up and or photocopy the thing and look at it later you or whatever. It's like stop. you literally just become this thing that makes connections. And like I used to remember every phone number I ever dialed, yeah. and now I don't know anyone's phone number. Same here. And it's like I, I can, if I my, can ma- still do if all my the brain shapes. knows, if my brain, yeah, exactly. If my brain knows it doesn't need to remember it, it'll spend its resources doing other stuff. I mean, sometimes it remembers anyway, but and that's a lot why of we're time, all fucked, just because yeah. people instinctively don't do something unless they have to. So it's sort of like, yeah, and you can't choose which stuff your brain decides to yeah. focus on and not focus on. Yeah, because we're essentially just uh, reactive. We're reactive organisms yes. to some extent. Who who have supernatural powers through their iPhones now, but yeah. don't use them for anything good at all yep. other than like talking about where the taco truck is at. Even though we can remote view. Yeah. Which is cool. <laughs> it's really weird. I've had some really weird experiences in that world. Another one was uh, kind of, I had this experience. We went to this place called the Monroe Institute. And the Monroe Institute is, was developed by this guy, Robert Monroe, who developed this technology called Hemisync, which is basically playing two different tones in each ear so you'd play like a440 in this ear and a440.01 in this ear so it creates dissonance right and you'd hear but i mean that was a way like but like if you put headphones on you'd hear but if you put them on you'd get a psychoacoustic b frequency so you start to hear like when you tune a guitar like but every time you took off one of the headphones you realize that it was just a pure sine wave in each one and they're doing an experiment to figure out if they could teach soldiers foreign languages while they were sleeping and they couldn't give them medicine to sleep so they found that they could they could basically create a brainwave sleep pattern and play it and people would be able to sleep easier and then they could try and teach them foreign languages while they're sleeping which again ended up not Not being true at all but they (laughs) found that when they're playing these certain frequencies people would pop out of their bodies and have these crazy out of the body experiences and so they're giving them something more than another yeah and it was like and then that certain frequencies had different out of the body experiences and stuff and it was like the weirdest thing ever but i had i'd basically made a loop of one of those uh things and was playing it for like four hours one night and uh 
I had this experience that was so fucking weird and it was not like any other person's remote viewing ex- or, or out of the body experience that I'd ever heard of. And then I was listening to a Terrence McKenna book and he was describing one of his DMT trips mm-hmm. and it was like almost identical to, so what I think happened is that my brain might've triggered a natural DMT release in yeah. the same way that like when people have like near death experiences, experiences yeah. but it, it was, uh, it was so bizarre, but you know, the information is definitely out there. It's like, you know, just trying to figure out a way to frame the experience though. It's like yeah. without that Terrence McKenna book, I probably would have never talked about the weird thing that happened. Like I had some weird telepathic communication with some weird alien that looked like Nicole Kidman on the fabric of reality for like, for like a half an hour. It was very, very strange, but, uh, it's a nice visitation. Yeah, it was all right. Hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, stuff is, is crazy. So how do you like rectify the other conspiracy theories then with, cause you talk, we talked about remote viewing and how it's like been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt really. But well, what I think is with conspiracy theories, I think everyone's reality is, you know, completely biased by whatever their belief system is. So mm-hmm. if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat or if you're a communist or if you're an atheist or if you're, you know, like a fundamentalist Christian, like everything that you believe is filtered through these set of beliefs that you have. So I think that, you know, in the same way with like Mount Gladwell looking at outliers, you know, conspiracy theories are definitely uh, uh, they, they serve a purpose mm-hmm. to make sense of, of all of that. None of them are totally true. All I have this thing. It's like uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle with reality, which is like if you look at the Kennedy assassination, right? And there was a, a police officer. I think his name was J.D. Tippett, who was shot, and that's what they originally arrested Oswald for. There was eight or nine people that saw firsthand this police officer get mm-hmm. shot. Every single one of their stories was different. Someone saw someone drive by in a car and shoot him. Someone saw a yeah. guy looking like scruffy and like out of sorts shoot him. Someone saw a black guy shoot him. Someone saw like two guys together walk up and shoot him. And what you find is that you can take firsthand reports from every aspect of the Kennedy assassination from people being on the grassy knoll to like, you know, people in Russia with, with Oswald and stuff and create whatever end result that you want by firsthand reports. And so what I kind of decided with conspiracy theories is that they can never tell you anything about reality, but you can learn how we make sense of the process of making sense of reality by looking at that like decision tree or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like you have all these possible branches that, that represent, you know, the, Cubans did it. The CIA did it. The aliens did it. Like, you know, it was Oswald's driver. It was like whatever, you know, um, Texas oil men or whatever. And you can find firsthand reports that will validate any and that aren't that won't correspond with any of the other ones. And so you can like if you look into it enough, you can be dead set on like any of those things. But what you find is that like that's true with just about everything in life. And you know, it's like, I guess the one thing with conspiracy theories is that you realize that we're doing that all the time. Like your diet, like your feelings about diet Coke and my feelings about yeah. diet Coke have been kind funneled of, uh, through. yeah, funneled filtered. through, filtered through like all these weird biases and experiences that we've had throughout our lives. And like the way that it's been marketed to us and uh-huh. whatever, like, you know, maybe we had a girlfriend that like 
broke our hearts that drank Diet Coke. And we're like, fuck you, Diet Coke. Like, you know, but then we met another girl that was really cute that really liked Diet Coke. And we're like, yeah. man, Diet Coke's awesome. You know, and then like, then you read that like Dick Cheney's on the board of Monsanto or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, or Rumsfeld or something. And it's like toxic poison. And then you hear that like Bill Clinton drinks like seven or eight of them a day and has like a photographic memory of everyone that he ever meets. And you're like, well, if it's totally evil and toxic and like, it's this underground program, then why would Bill Clinton be exactly. drinking Diet Coke? Like, is he an idiot or is it like, is he get a special kind of Diet Coke? So I, I think feel like it always sums up to uh, everything is everything. Yeah. Everything, and, nothing, and, and nothing is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, in the Illuminatus trilogy, which is a book that you should definitely read by that guy, Robert Anton Wilson. Okay. There's a character called Markov Cheney, um, who basically there's a thing called a Markov chain in mathematics, which is like a random variable, but he would go around to, uh, to stores and he'd be like, no shirt, no service. And he'd write no spitting or something, but just add this little element of it just to kind of like piss people off and like set these chains into effect where people would be like did they just insult me at Kmart like when I walked in they they thought I was going to spit on the floor like (laughs) what the fuck and then that would like filter through like a like a butterfly effect into like changing all these different things in the world and uh you know there's a there's a group in it which actually relates to the uh the Kennedy assassination called the Discordians and and they basically their whole purpose was it's kind of like the anonymous stuff started off on okay. 4chan which was basically to create as much chaos and disorder mm-hmm. in the world as possible and that was like all they did was to try to smash up apart like things and uh they they, they would put the word fenord f it's like ford with an n after the f okay. but they would just put it in places <laughs> to like see if people would read it and right. like fenord represented that kind of like you know that chaos or whatever right um and uh, it was amazing. So the guy who all that stuff was based on um, was uh, this guy. Um, it was Kerry. Uh, uh, what was it? F- fuck. Uh, it's Kerry Thornley, I think. Um, but he he wrote a book um, called The Idle Warrior, and mm-hmm. he was in the Marines with Oswald. Jeez. And he wrote a book about Oswald being an assassin like four years before the Kennedy assassination, and then. In the Jim, uh, was it uh, Jim Garrison book that was the basis of the Oliver Stone movie right. JFK? He thought that that uh, Th- Thornley was the uh, um, was the second Oswald that was in Mexico the City and stuff and like and all this crazy stuff and it was it was crazy because the more it got into his life the more he started to believe these crazy conspiracies where at the end of his life he thought he was like the byproduct of like you know this weird reverse engineering thing of like you know nazi like semen and and like you know basically had been time traveling and all this weird (laughs) shit and it all just you know it's like that guy came up with the funniest thing ever which is you know just total chaos and like uh, the worship of of chaos and just fucking with you know like kind of fire sign theater stuff or whatever okay. you know yeah it's like i mean adult swim does a really good job with that on a popular level <laughs> now it's like you watch it tim and eric and it definitely takes your brain to those places and it's yeah, uh, to just it's amazing n- nonsense to fenord yeah fenord yeah, yeah. fenord <laughs> yeah well um we'll take a quick break here okay and and we're back okay <laughs> Um, so we've talked a lot about crazy shit here, but I do want to, you did say you had a great story to tell me about the Rolling Stones. Okay. I yeah. Hear. I, I've been on the road for the last couple years. Um, and I've heard some amazing, amazing rock stories. I'll tell you two stories. Cause you go on the road as a DJ. I, I am the uh, opening D- 
a band and DJ for Paul McCartney. So okay. I basically do remixes of Beatles stuff. Paul McCartney, who was in the band The Beatles, he was in the Beatles and in a band called Wings. Right, and, Wings. Uh, and he had a he great also, album called Ram. Which, yeah, I think. solo artist. Uh, solo artist with the, his of wife. note. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, literally the least disappointing human being in the world, and like the nice, the least disappointing. Okay. He's like the raddest dude in the history of the world. He's I that. he's that infinitely sense. cool. Um, <laughs> But uh, in case you were wondering, Paul yeah. McCartney. He's so, so all of the people that are on the road with Paul have been on the road with everybody from like Led Zeppelin to doing like the Dark Side of the Moon tour to like you know doing like Queen and stuff. And so it's just every story. It's that's every ever crazy rock story. Okay. So there's like Guns and Roses story. There's like you know the guy who's the art director of the tour was did Purple Rain and he's like in oh, the man. scene doing the lights in the back of yeah. like when he plays Purple Rain and his girlfriend was in Vanity Six and stuff and he's in the video for like Sex Shooter and stuff and so like every single one of those like characters they're all like have had the most interesting like the the lighting director did fleetwood mac during rumors you know okay. it's like to yeah. hear those stories are so fucking insane but there's there's two stories that are the best things ever and i told you i'd tell you the the rolling stones one but i won't use the person's name who told me the story okay. because it's amazing but uh the Rolling Stones found out that this kid had uh, progeria, which is the disease, the, the Benjamin old, Button kind the, the of thing, where disease, yeah. you basically grow old while you're really young. And the life expectancy is, you know, maybe 18 to 20 years yeah, or something. Um, and they found out the kid was 17 years old. And they found out that uh, he had progeria. And so they, they were like, well, let's get a hold of the Make-A-Wish people mm -hmm. and we'll fly him out to a show and we'll like, you know, give him a, because he said he was a Stones fan. And so they called Make-A-Wish. They're like, this kid's somewhere in Nebraska. Find him, like fly him out to our show in Oakland. Like, you know, we'll put him in the Four Seasons and we'll, you know, fly him first class with a friend or his brother or whatever. One and done. So he shows up at the show with his brother who's like 19 and they watch the sound check and like, you know, after the sound check, um, all the stones are doing like their pre-show warm-ups. Like what year is this? This is, this is during the Steel Wheels tour. Steel, Steelers Wheel? No, Steel Wheels. I don't even know. I'm not a big Stones fan. Yeah. It was probably like 93. Okay. No, maybe maybe even 90. I think it, that record came out. It was definitely like in the 90s okay. sometime it was like the, the record after their harlem shuffle record like where they were kind of retaking some <laughs> no. real rock and roll um stuff it's a pretty good record but that being said they're they're doing their pre-show warm-up stuff mix doing his like crazy like dance you know stuff right. uh charlie's doing his hand exercises uh and just scowling B bill wyman and uh ron witter playing snooker or something and uh and keith's on the on a couch like smoking a joint or mm -hmm. something and so the Stones have this security guy who's like six foot seven. And he's like, all right, mate. He's like, where do you want to watch the show from? He's like, you can watch it from the side of the stage. You can watch it from the front row. We can put you in the, the sound booth. It's like, anywhere you want. Like, you know, it's your day. Like, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, actually, what I'd really like to do is get some hookers and some blow. And so, like, everyone just stops. Like, Mick Jagger falls over laughing. Keith Richards is crying on the board. And they're like, they got, like, one of the, the grips to go, like, get the kid, like, a hooker from Oakland and oh, some man. drugs and set him up in his hotel room. And the guy went back, fucked the hooker, did some blow, and then died, like, six months later. But it's the best Make-A-Wish story in oh, the history of the world. And they can never talk about it. But I just did. Wow. Um, the wow. other story, which is amazing, which is one of my favorite stories I've ever heard, of just the weird things that people have to do in rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So, like, 
you know, because you go to a concert and you see all this crazy shit and you realize that there are people that are doing, it's like a movie set or whatever. There's yeah, millions of, of people work. doing really fucking intense things mm-hmm. that you don't see at all. A lot of chairs. Um, and so my friend, her first job was, her name's Shelly Lazar and she's the most awesome person ever. She does the VIP tickets. She was Bill Graham's assistant, like back doing the film or stuff. But like, she was awesome. She was Chris Rock's nursery school or, or kindergarten teacher. <laughs> she drove a cab in New York, but like literally the raddest woman in the history she's of the world. Like like, she has all the best rock and roll stories ever. But her first uh, gig with Bill Graham was for the Queen Fat Bottom Girls Tour at Madison Square Garden. And her job was to get all of the backstage rider stuff. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, you hear the stories about like, yeah. you know, the Ramones the wanting M&Ms. like green M&Ms or whatever. <laughs> Fucking the queen rider was the best thing ever. So she had to find uh, two women to wrestle naked in spaghetti. She had to find a midget string quartet. She had to find four super buff Chippendales guys to wear like thong underwear and hand out hors d'oeuvres. And she had to find um, six really ugly hookers with huge tits so she's like calling up in the village voice and she's like yeah i need six hookers and he, she's like oh yeah i've totally got that she's like, they have to be like hideously ugly he's like don't worry all my girls are hideous don't and worry. so like, they go and, and then this was like the best thing in the history of, of rock and roll she had to find a monkey that would masturbate on cue and so she like knew all of these like circus people and she calls up and she's like i need a monkey that'll masturbate like on cue and so this guy that was like an organ grinder taught his monkey to like masturbate whenever he'd be like point at it and so like all night long Freddie Mercury was just like monkey <laughs> like, and then he'd do like a line of blow off of a midget's oh head God. but it's like it's it's crazy I mean but, that I mean, stuff doesn't really happen that much yeah, anymore I mean I see of, some uh, weird stuff but I've never seen not, a master debating monkey yeah I've never seen one I think that's the that's the excess of the pre-collapse economy the, yeah. pre, uh, <laughs> the pre, uh, pre-bust it was it was like pre-AIDS pre-like you know people are still ODing from drugs but they still kind right. of thought it was pretty awesome to do like a pound of blow a night exactly and, and we still had yeah. a lot of uh, the financial system and, was still and, working and groupies on. didn't apparently care about getting sexually transmitted diseases <laughs> from everybody on every it's a badge that yeah point. it was right. a badge yeah so check out the herpes I got from Led Zeppelin um, but yeah God. awesome to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> exactly. Chris, thanks for telling me all this crazy Yeah, it was shit. amazing. I'm yeah. glad that we got to. This is my first virgin podcast. Oh, like, really? Uh, yeah, wow. never done one well, before. amazing. This is going to have to be a part one. Yes, part one. Yeah, I can talk I for hours about a lot of weird so shit. so much more here. Cool. Thanks. Chris Holmes, you can hear your, uh, where can we like hear, hear your uh, Ashtar the, Command? It's Ashtar-command.com. Okay. And Ashtar then there's a bunch of Ashtar Command stuff up on YouTube. There right. is a video from Mark Four, which is in the FIFA game. Okay. So if you type Ashtar Command FIFA, it'll come in. And then the video that uh, Howard is in is uh, on YouTube, is right? on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So um, that one is awesome. called Gravity. And it has uh, it has that dude that's in uh, the Tim and Eric uh, Crimbus, the guy who's oh, always naked with yeah. the the teeny dick. I don't know. Um, there's a bunch of them. There's a lot of naked people in the video with okay. Howard. So I don't know if it's, it's, uh, they, they used LA casting. And so all oh, these right. weird people came up and yeah. the director of it, Marco, uh, showed me all these people. I'm like, well, I want people that are like really authentic. I don't want like crazy people acting crazy. It was right. like, I want people who genuinely are like, you know, like, so when it, the people do, you know, commit mass suicide, it's like believable. It's not just a bunch <laughs> of weird dudes. And he had like 38 people come out to the casting 
and he hired every single one of them and I got to the casting and there's like dudes walking around with like full on like S&M body suits and like that dude was walking around naked the whole day and like you know just weird guys that were like mm. there was a guy who did like judo like tai chi like sword throwing stuff and just the weirdest shit ever but they're all in the video okay, and they're all that. like hanging out and they're all wikipedian about this cool a podcast right yeah. now because they just got mentioned on the air it will be and we'll have uh, all kinds of links and book book yeah. linking so that one's and, uh, called that one's called gravity gravity uh, yeah cool but, uh, well, awesome great cheers bye, dude bye bye we're leaving now branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.